0: Welcome to the Crime of the Century Podcast, where we expose higher education as a scam that it is. I'm Kevin Prendeville, and I believe that because of what we're teaching our students, we're losing an entire generation. Today is always diving headfirst into controversial subjects undaunted by political correctness. Uh, today we're gonna continue the series that will lead us to the philosophical background that drives our modern education today. You'll crawl in episode 69 that we discussed uh, the fall of France and the changing art scene and how that taps into a deeper psychological and philosophical nature changing in the West. This all started with podcast 61. So uh, if you haven't jumped in uh, from that point, uh, now would be the time to go back and review the series from its inception. But today we're going to examine uh, the German fallout from World War I and why that even matters today. And at the conclusion of today's show, you'll be able to identify and define how the Nazis won Germany. You will be able to see Hitler for what he is, an opportunistic psychopath, and then this will help you avoid uh, the low-level political discourse and really elevate your knowledge when talking uh, to peers. And as we have for the past 10 weeks, this series will help us decipher the background for the crime of the century. So in our series, we do have to stop here because there is uh, a couple of things we need to address here. One is the fact that um, here we can see what happens um, after a tragedy, which would would have been World War I, and it truly is a, 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 a catastrophic tragedy. What happens when there is no spiritual and moral base to go from there? And what I mean is when when academics forget that God exists, what happens? And the other aspect that we have to address, and we're going to do it right away, is the fact that we, for some reason, the modern interpretation of Hitler is that he's some boogeyman who took control of a country and did all these horrible things, he was the worst person ever, And, uh, you know, he lost because the good guys, you know, good always wins. Um, That's a great story to tell children, but Hitler was a man. Hitler was somebody who was shocked by the horrors of World War I, but somebody who was a deep atheist. He did not believe in God. He did not. Uh, and that was only, became more profound after World War One. He was an odd man. Um, you know, he was pretty destitute for much of his time in the 1920s, um, and he would, but he always saved enough money up to go to the opera house. He liked to wear a suit everywhere and pretend that he was wealthy. He would bef- befriend younger, poor people, um, and... Found some sort of solace in them that that he was somehow superior to them, even though that he himself wasn't that wealthy. He was a failed art student. He blamed the Jewish commission um, that was in control if he was trying to get to this uh, art school, and the whether or not they would give you the thumbs up or thumbs down, essentially it came down to this board, this commission, and it was like eighty percent Jewish. So from that he extrapolated and essentially said that the the Jews just hate Germans. And so it's only fitting that the Germans annihilate the Jewish people. And he had already been, as he tells us in Mein Kampf, he is he was already anti-Semitic, so it didn't help. But He is a man who was opportunistic, did take advantage of a country in its weakest moment, and did commit unspeakable acts of violence. He was someone who believed in 1945 when artillery and bombs and all the weapons of war dropping on his head in Berlin from his secret bunker, he still thought they would win because now all of the weak Germans had been killed so all that was left were the strong Germans and they were somehow going to win the war with no food and no ammunition and hardly any guns and hardly any troops left. He was somebody who is famous for quotes like uh, Germany will be a world power or they will not be a Germany at all and he's also famous for saying, you know, any artist who paints the sky green and the grass blue ought to be sterilized. He is someone who argued that life is vicious and brutal and that when you die, that's it. And so you have to be strong because you'll, if, you're, if you're strong and don't take advantage of weak people, then you yourself are weak. When the United States um, received a declaration of war from the Germans in December of 1941, he thought personally, regardless of what his commanders thought and regardless of what the Japanese had thought, he figured that defeating the U.S. would be a breeze. Of course, we're filled with all these other diverse cultures, and if we're so strong, why didn't we invade Canada? I'm not kidding. That was part of his philosophy, that If you're strong, you will take advantage of your neighbors and take from them what you can. Hitler was somebody who was a product of social Darwinism, which was a theory that came out of the 1910s or so, which was essentially that Darwin's theory of evolution can be applied to humanity and our social situations. And it was combined with the Marxist idea that all hierarchies are based on power, that anything, anyone isn't that is in power got there by oppressing others. And that fit in with, or what they assumed fit in with the Darwin strategy. You know, if you if you cut things out of what Darwin said, then you can fit it to whatever you want, right? So they said basically, okay, Darwin said that certain evolutionary traits become more profound because it's more advantageous and those who don't have it die off. Therefore, the only traits left are the dominant traits that allow for these evolutionary changes. But socially, they try to take this and say, well, the West is on top. The West was able to colonize because uh, European culture and white people are superior. This is where you get the white nationalist uh, ethno- Ethnocentric um, ideas that essentially, well, the West won, so therefore, being white and being Nordic is an Aryan was a famous term they would use is superior to everybody else. And in Hitler's mind, well, the only way you prove you're superior is by dominating or killing off everybody else. So Hitler's end game was to kill everybody who wasn't Germanic and white. That that even Italians. Were not truly white but they could there was some weird gym math uh, gymnastic math that he did that somehow they were um just not as pure as the the germans and you know the russians weren't white they were because of they were been tainted by communism that they were these essentially mongoloids and so you know treating them poorly wasn't a sin at all it was just you know, the the dominant race taking advantage of the weaker one. There has never been and there will never be an American politician who has the same mindset as Adolf Hitler. As someone who is a bitter, angry person with no God to center him, with an idea that he himself, based on his skin color alone, is superior to everybody else, while at the same time being poor, while at the same time not willing to give grace to anybody. When the media, when Other politicians accuse their colleagues or political forces in the U.S. of being Nazis, of being in the image of Adolf Hitler. They are doing a disservice to not only the Holocaust survivors and victims, but they're also doing a disservice to Hitler. They're making him out to be some sort of bad guy without understanding why he's evil but why his belief is evil. Because if we truly dug into somebody who lives in that world that Hitler did, well, you get the perfect image of hell. So you can mudsling and you can say that the person standing to my right or the person standing to my left is the devil. And the devil incarnate is someone similar to Adolf Hitler, but to to throw it around, to assume that someone on the other side is Hitler because they disagree with you is a massive disservice to the true horror of this time period. That you and I cannot understand the political pressure that was put on the enemies of Hitler's Reich. You and I cannot understand the social pressure that was put on the victims of Hitler's Holocaust. We cannot understand the conditions that they, those victims were put into. And not because Hitler just thought, oh, this is an evil thing to do. No, he thought and the reason the Nazis took so many notes of what they were doing, he thought the rest of the world was going to thank him. He assumed that you and I secretly actually were oppressed by Jewish people and black people and minorities in general. And that so when the the Germans killed them all, the rest of the world would thank them because they'd be liberated. Now... Does any of this sound like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? And we can argue about taxes, we can argue about uh, healthcare, we can argue about the government's role, all of that. But does it seem responsible to call either one of them Adolf Hitler? Now Trump gets the accusation thrown at him a lot more obviously than, than Hillary Clinton and heck even George Bush got the accusation thrown at him that you're a Nazi, you're Hitler. No, they don't think that way. They couldn't be Adolf Hitler. They wouldn't be Adolf Hitler. Because to be someone in that mindset, the only conclusion to life is death. It is the darkest place that a human being can go. Hitler... And here's the takeaway. Hitler is not a boogeyman. Hitler is a man. And yes, he did control the most industrialized country from 1933 to 1945. So how on earth did that happen? If he's this psychopath, if he's this, as someone, as I've heard it put by a few historians, that it was a suicide by, by burning the rest of Europe, essentially. I think that's a little bit over dramatizing the situation. But how does somebody get to think like, like an Adolf Hitler? And how does a country, how does he get a country to go along with him? Because it seems insane the way he's described, the, the way that, by all accounts, the way he thought, by the way he told us he thought through Mein Kampf. How can somebody reach the conclusion that their superiority can only be manifested in the elimination of everybody else. And some of it has to do with experiences in war. Uh, I think mm-hmm. World War One did shake Hitler. He was wounded three different times. He had one of the most difficult jobs uh, in World War One. He had to carry letters from high command to the um, lower-ranking generals who were in charge of people in the trenches and he would take these letters back and forth, and oftentimes, um, you know, people he knew and the co-workers, colleagues, I guess, around him, they would not return. It was a very high-casualty position. Uh, Again, he was wounded three times, and the amount of bloodshed and gore that I'm so, I'm sure that he witnessed in World War I does take its effects. But too often that is used, I think, in some cases to explain away how he came to think in the way that he did. He was a firm believ- believer believer in, in the harshness of life that Life is harsh and brutal, and so the only way you beat is by being more brutal and harsh. That there was no grace. Now, his first point is something that is recognized almost universally by many different religions. That life is brutal and life is hard, but if you follow certain laws in life, if you follow certain moral guidelines, then you can get to salvation, a place that is pure and good and morally upstanding. Now, Christianity is different because there's only one figure at the center of that redemption, which is Christ, and this goes for anyone who's not Catholics, because Catholics, you still have to do a lot of um, rituals and different, you know, Different uh, uh, acts—you have to act, in a, you have to uh, perform certain duties as a Catholic in order to get into heaven. But for the Reformed faiths, um, Christ Himself is at the center. So Christianity is a little different in this case, in that the only way you get grace is by coming to faith in Christ. Regardless, and the reason I bring that up is because that had really that Lutheran and Calvinist idea had really prevailed in, in Northern Germany, what was Northern Germany at this time. But Hitler had, who he was Austrian-born, so he grew up in much more of a um, a society dominated by Catholicism. Regardless, he firmly believed in that the first part, in the harshness of life, but being an atheist, he didn't believe in the second half. So it was up to him essentially in his own mind to construct how do you get out of it? How do we solve this problem? And he basically said, there is no solution and you just have to be, the, you have to focus on procreation that essentially that um, you know, you're strong and you protect the women who are also the strongest women and that the way you find that they're strongest is because of the way they manifest their superiority. They manifest that by essentially by being white, by being, um, in his view, Germanic, and then you mate with the strongest women, and because you're the strongest man, because he's killed all of the weak men, that then you create a strong generation, and then that would support his thousand-year Reich, famously. Um, And so, his you can only get to his dark, dark place, which he could not escape from, facts or no facts, um, regardless of the fact that Jesse Owens won many of the Olympic medals in Berlin at that time in 1936, um, while the swastika flew and he was preparing to exterminate the Jewish people. Um, You had a black man from the United States winning all these medals, clearly outdoing his superior Germans. Now, that seems to be... maybe, Maybe you could say that's anecdotal, but it probably leads to the fact that I'm sure Jesse Owens trained, and he had genetics that made him able to run faster than other competitors, and I'm sure that he although of course he had to face some level of racism here, um, he was still allowed to to participate and therefore uh, create, uh, he was able to better a society uh, athletically. Essentially that you could not throw enough facts at someone like Hitler to have him change his mind. You couldn't make an argument to have him turn into some great reformer. That he was stuck in that place and he was there forever. And so how does someone get there? Well, the only conclusion is they abandoned God. It's as though they've been put into some sort of hellscape mentally that they can't get away from. And they're stuck there, that there's no wrath that can be greater than that action. So the takeaway here from Hitler's psychology is that when you remove God from institutions, when you remove him from your personal life, when you suppose that there is no God so therefore you live how you want, There's nothing but hell that awaits, be it mental or physical. But how does this depressing, macabre figure hypnotize an entire nation? Was this Holocaust going to happen regardless? Because that's what we're going to look at next and, and really our final takeaway here. How does somebody who thinks like that, if... People are generally good, if you want to believe that. How does somebody who is that openly and writes about how openly evil he is, how does he win a country democratically? Again, he was voted in. Well... Some of it goes back to what we'd briefly mentioned before even we touched on World War I. This would have been podcast 65, I believe, um, where in the Germanic society at the time and in German culture, there were a number of professors and uh, famously Adolf uh, 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 Wegener was a great composer, But they would write papers and they would explain how verently anti-Semitic they were, that they believed that that the Jews ran the world, essentially, is what he would argue. And the amount, it can be argued to a point that Germanic society in the 1890s to about 1900 or so was though advanced though it was one of the leading societies when it came to scientific thought and theory of the day that there was already a predisposition to mistrust the jewish people that we were or the the German people were ready to blame the Jews for a catastrophe. Now, this started a lot from the personal opinions of of many different professors, many different academics, and in some cases composers and other places in high media. But this was all really, shown at the, uh, the behest when World War I ended, that in uh, the 19, 1919, 1920, there was an excuse essentially that went out for why the Germans lost. And the German military throughout the war had been telling its people that, you know, were, that they were only a few months away from victory when really they were bogged down in the trenches and not making really any progress in France. They kept telling the German people through the newspapers, you know, you're out, you know, just a couple months from victory, just, you know, buy a couple more bonds, sacrifice a couple more meals, send them to the military, we're almost going to win. Then suddenly they wake up in the fall of 1918 and they've lost. And by 1919 they have this horrible treaty that's put on them that takes away a large swaths of what was Germanic land and embarrasses the German nation essentially. Now the excuse that came from the anti-Semitic wing and even from some of the military commanders was no, not that they had would have been lying to the German people, no they wouldn't want them to think that about their military. Uh, the, the Jewish people had ran the, the uh, newspapers and the Jewish people had run the government so that they were lying to the German people they were delaying um, supplies, that they were, and they told the army to stand down, that the, the the Jewish people were responsible for German military defeat. And if we had only gotten them out of government, then there would be no ills. We would have won World War One. And whether or not this was believed by a great amount of German people, I'm not sure if the, the statistics on that, how many Germans actually took that to heart. But we can tell this. That the German people were certainly aggravated. A lot of them were turning to, on the left, socialism, communism. And we can tell that by the fact that that excuse was even taken seriously by the German media at the time, that the discontent and the anger towards the Jewish people was at least palatable. Now, this is not, again, I'm not trying to explain away the atrocities done by the Nazis, but Hitler didn't just appear. Well, the next issue was really, if you look at the elections, um, from we're going from 1924 to about uh, 28 here. Uh, during the German elections, the Nazi party was not, doing so hot. Um, You had, over a couple years, you had the the socialists were doing all right. The communists weren't really doing well either. The dominating parties were kind of their moderate left and right parties. And the right, the the, the more conservative wing uh, under Paul Hindenburg uh, would win uh, in the Weimar Republic twice, mainly because Hindenburg was still seen as this uh, hero of the German military. So we can tell that the Germans were still nationalistic, at least on a on a grand scale, as well as they should be. That they had felt them they had taken much pride in being German for, for many years. So that that had not changed. And that also probably explains why the communists were doing so well either. And Hindenburg had warned about Hitler. He hated Hitler, he did not like Hitler, but he was Unable in, in the early 30s, when Hitler won in 33. He was unable to, at that point he was sickly, he was old, he was unable to quell what he had foreseen, which was uh, the end of German democracy. But in 1929, uh was known as Black Tuesday in October, um, occurred, where the greatest depression the world has ever seen occurred. German currency became worthless. There was mass chaos. People would rather burn their money for heat than actually use it because it was that worthless. Everybody had millions and millions of marks that were useless because they had just kept printing money. They were under huge hyperinflationary times. There was no. What seemed to. It had seemed to the German people who had had democracy for only. A decade or so and it seemed to them that it had failed. That those who were arguing for a return to the Germanic way of doing things, the more centralized, controlled government way of doing things, that they were in the right. That, that democracy and Hitler had the, his quote that Uh, A camel will sooner pass through a needle's eye than a great man ever be found by an election. That essentially democracy had swayed back and forth between both parties, hadn't solved anything, and now the German people were suffering. And this all came back to the French, and this all came back to the Jewish people, and this all came back to all of the enemies that Hitler had been setting up to the German people. And... We can tell, because in '31 they do a whole lot better. I think they get about 20% of the vote. And by 1933, the Nazis are in power as a, a, a major, as a coalition between them and the conservatives. This only came about in extreme conditions, that Germany was suffering and they were looking for an out. They were not looking towards the communists in the sense that they were still nationalistic, but they were not looking towards the free markets because even though that's the correct way to run an economy, free markets, when the market crashes, seem too slow. They were looking to a a, a, a government response to the chaos, and democracy does not always give that But the authoritarian types can pitch all of that. They can take the ills of the day and say, the government can solve this. We just need to take away the free markets. We just need to take away the people's freedom and set the country on a course for greatness. And I'm putting air quotes around all that. The... German people did not know what they were signing up for, I don't think. When it came to the Holocaust, when it came to the horrors that did occur under the Nazi regime, I don't think the German people signed up for mass execution. Now, do I think they're completely innocent? Maybe, maybe not. That's for other historians. That's for for academics who know what they're talking about to debate. But for our purposes, for what we need to understand here is that when you believe that there are others oppressing you and responsible for all of the ills in your life, when you believe there is no God, when you believe that you are predestined to be superior to others. Your conscience can let you do anything. And that's not a good thing. It brings more truth to the quote, live life as if there is a God. Because we know what happens when there isn't comes back to the Ben Franklin quote when he was debating a uh, skeptic. He said, men are horrible creatures when they believe in a God. Can you imagine what they would be like without one? What do we have here? Now, we didn't even cover the Soviet Union. We didn't even cover what happened in China or Cambodia. We won't cover what happened in Yugoslavia. We won't cover what happens in Rwanda but we know the results. So what does all this come into? Well, when it comes down to the those in higher education, it's more so, it's important and it's on their shoulders to carry on the knowledge of the 20th century and of centuries past, as we've discussed. It's on them to understand that whatever their personal beliefs are, do not cheapen the lessons of the 20th century by accusing your enemies of being Adolf Hitler. Do not cheapen the lessons of the 20th century by giving credence to Marxism. Do not cheapen the lessons of the 20th century by supposing there is no God and therefore living as if there is no God. because we know what happens. And that makes up the first takeaway from this 20th century study in our series. The second one is we're going to look at more so the American fallout from World War I and a Great Depression era, and we'll have to face some of our own academic biases and what that manifested in, in the 1930s and early 40s. And through all of this, we're gonna come up with specific points to decipher the crime of the century.